um, out of Luke chapter 2. We're looking at, at the story of Simeon. And um, yeah, I've. Oh dear, there it went. Okay, I thought I lost my microphone for a second. Um, also, we're not trying to like get crazy with all of these microphone or all of these uh, stands in the middle of things. We're just trying to see if we can uh, have a have a little bit better way to engage with those who are not able to be with us. And so uh, we had a challenge in being able to make that uh, connect into Zoom, which hopefully will get that transition made. Um, Old equipment and old operators. <laughs> so I include myself in that. So, um, all right. So here we go. Um, and by the way, uh, my, my daughter is my producer right now on Facebook Live. So if I need to do something different, tell me, honey. All right. Here we go. Luke 2. Oh, I could turn to this camera and say, right now, ladies and gentlemen, call 1-800. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just... I could have resisted that. This is probably being recorded. Oh, man, that's terrible. All right. Lord, help me. Here we go. I could have not done that, but I did it anyway. All right. I'm going to be in verse 21. Um, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. Uh, on the day of the baby's circumcision ceremony, we're talking about Jesus. Eight days after his birth, his parents gave him the name Jesus the name prophesied by the angel before he was born. Forty days after the birth of her son, Mary's time of purification had completed, so she came to the temple with a sacrifice according to the law of Moses. So Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to Jerusalem to be dedicated before the Lord. For it is stated in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be set apart for God and is required to offer a prescribed sacrifice, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This was specifically for those who uh, were poor. Uh, as they came to the temple to fulfill this requirement, an elderly man was waiting there, a resident of Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a very good man, a lover of God, who kept himself pure and the spirit of holiness rested upon him. Simeon believed in the imminent appearing of the one called the refreshing of Israel. For the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he saw the Messiah, the anointed one of God. Keeping his promise, I love that, the Holy Spirit led Simeon to be in the temple court at the very moment Jesus' parents entered to fulfill the requirement of the sacrifice. Simeon cradled the baby in his arms and praised God and prophesied, Lord and Master, I am your loving servant. Now I can die content, for you fulfilled your promise to me. With my own eyes, I have seen your word, the Savior you sent into the world. He will be glory for your people Israel and the revelation light for all people everywhere. Mary and Joseph stood there, awestruck over what was being said about their baby. And Simeon blessed them and began to prophesy over them. Lord, would you just open our hearts to hear and to receive from you, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the title I've given the message this morning is Consenting to Love. Most of us, most of us take life for granted. 
We know that one day we must die, but usually we picture that day as far off in the future. We, when we're in buoyant health, death is all but unimaginable. We seldom think of it. The days stretch out into an endless vista. So we go about our petty task, hardly aware of our listless attitude toward life. The same lethargy, I'm afraid, characterizes the use of all of our facilities and senses. Only the deaf appreciate hearing. Only the blind realize the manifold blessings that lie in sight. Particularly does this observation apply to those who have lost sight and hearing in adult life. But those who have never suffered impairment of sight or hearing seldom make the fullest use of these blessed facilities. Now, I have tested this and my own friends to discover what do they see. Recently, I was visited by a very good friend who had just returned from a long walk in the woods, and I asked her what had she observed. Nothing in particular, she replied. I might have been incredulous had I not been accustomed to those responses for long ago. I became convinced that the seeing see little. How is it possible, I asked myself, to walk for an hour through the woods and see nothing worthy of note? Those who have eyes apparently see little. That was written by Helen Keller at the age of 53, and it was actually taken from a book, her book called Three Days to See, in which she began to transcribe, to write about and explore in her mind what it would be like just to have three days to see. Helen Keller, born in eight, June of 1880, at 19 months, a disease took both her sight and her hearing. It plunged her into a world of isolation and darkness. She famously was helped by the tireless efforts of Anne Sullivan and eventually developed ways to communicate with other people, so much so that she went on to graduate from Radcliffe College, the all-woman's counterpart to the all-male Harvard at the time. She remains one of the clearest examples to the fact that there is more to seeing and hearing than our biology. She goes on after her graduation to write 14 books. One of them, it flows through many of her books, but in one she specifically writes about her encounters with God. I know that life is given us so that we may grow in love, she says. And I believe that God is in me as the sun is in the color and fragrance of the flower, the light in my darkness, and the voice in my silence. Those who have eyes often see so little. It seems more relevant now than ever 
in a world filled with millions of images that we scroll through. Millions of images presenting a persona that looks one way, but yet the truth is we live in a world filled with fears, wants, judgments, that those very images separate each other into parts. People who have looked at images of me or of my family and have said, oh, I know what's true. You know what I'm talking about? Perceptions that have little to do with actually knowing someone or loving them. Eyes that often see so little. In our text... Luke gives us this encounter. And let's try to get the right image in our mind. We're in the temple. It's 40 days after the birth of Jesus. Joseph and Mary are carrying out the required sacrifice for the dedication of their son. Remember, there's a little bit of shadow hanging over them to begin with. And as they enter into the temple, it is filled with all kinds of noise. There are people coming and going. Those fulfilling their own requirements. My point is, this isn't just a quiet little prayer chapel. They enter into this temple, and anyone who glances can notice, oh, Oh, you're, you're from that group of people that don't have to actually give as much as we do. You, you get a pass because you're, you're poor. Now, they didn't have those judgments in that day, right? And as they enter into the temple amongst the very people who later would say, we know what kind of child that is, how you were born. Those perceptions are floating. The noise is there. They see who they are. They're not remarkable. They're poor. And then we have this old man. And Luke tells us about this this man who, by some traditions, some, some church traditions, place him as a very old man, probably maybe even past his 90s. Now, let's get this clear. Now, you know, I, I, out of my great, wonderful heritage, I'm already developing those little things that grow in your eyeballs. And at, at I think, a fairly young age. But anyway, point is... This guy's like in his, you know, he's older, and by all accounts, he's likely, according to some tradition, all but lost his sight. Led, not then by his physical vision, but by the Spirit of God, and 
as he encounters this couple, he takes the child and says, My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon, some say that he was the son of the great rabbinic teacher Hallel. We don't know, but if it was true that that was true of him, it would be his colleagues that would not see salvation in this child, but rather a heretic. Simeon, an old man whose vision likely is fading, has no influence, no military importance, no political connections, no references to any financial resources, and, and all of the well-connected individuals around him have pretty much not taken any account of him because he hangs out in the temple. What a picture. This unremarkable couple, this old, unremarkable man. And Luke says he saw uh, it's it's there in um, in that same text that he reveals to us not only what Simeon sees, but something very interesting in verse 25, what the Lord saw in Simeon. He's righteous and devout, verse 25. Those two words together are, are meant to be a summary of something that's true, of what God sees. Righteousness speaks of how With justice. Did I lose it? Okay. Are we back? Okay. It, it speaks of how he's treated people. Amen. All right, guys, everybody on the call, you can. Um, the second one is that he's devout, which speaks of not, not just a sense of devotion, but it speaks about his love, what's, in, what's, what's motivating him at the heart level. So we see a man that when God sees him, he's seeing justice. He's seeing love. And that word devout is only used another four times in the New Testament. Here's a man that others haven't noticed. God's seen him. Seeing, the seeing can often see so little. To see more than a couple just fulfilling a ceremonial purification and dedication. But here comes this man, his eyes likely darkened, maybe even close to blind, and he sees something. My eyes have seen something. He's communicating something that isn't just about his physical vision, beloved. He's speaking about something that's touched his heart, something that's laid hold of his heart, the promise of God, the hope of the promise of God. I'm seeing something that God has put together, something that will transcend and transform and reveal light, life, beauty. And, and let's not miss the obvious part of this. 
Simeon did not see a theological lesson. He didn't see how all of this salvation is going to happen. He saw a person. Take that one to the bank. Okay? He didn't see the plan. He saw the person. The person that he saw is Jesus Christ. The person of love, ready for this, who consented to reveal the love of the Father. God became man. The person of love who consented to reveal the love of the Father, Jesus Christ, when he saw that, he said, it's enough. My eyes have seen. See, to see salvation is not what you see with your eyes, but rather what you see and surrender to with your heart. To consent to the victory of the love of God revealed in Christ is enough then, now, and always. Beloved, that is really, really good news. That photo that you had up there just a moment ago, would you pop that photo back up? This is by... A photo by the man, the artist is Ron Dickiani, I think is how I pronounce that. And it says so much. It's actually in, in, the, um, in the message translation, the, the passion translation that I uh, hold. But it's titled Simeon's Moment. But it says so much in this photo. A couple of things that are portrayed there is light. And mystery, and there's kind of this overlay of seeing a little bit of the outline of nations, and yet a baby, and yet one of the things I hope you notice is that as Simeon is having this encounter, holding Jesus, his eyes are closed. My eyes have seen. Beloved, again, what Luke shows us with both Simeon and Anna is that neither of them know how but what they have seen is they've seen the right person. They don't know all of this information. See, salvation is not found in believing the right things, but in trusting the right person, beloved. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Salvation is not based in our theological acumen, but rather entirely on trust. Trust is about consenting to the plan of God. I don't know all the, how this is going to happen, but my eyes. Simeon, you can't see much. Dad, can't you see that? No, sometimes I can't. My eyes have seen the salvation of God. See, it carries such an impact, especially if you begin to think, and I believe rightfully so, that some of his physical vision was not just impaired, but possibly a good chunk of it gone. So I'm praying through these verses early one morning this past week, and I'm beginning to think about this. I'm like, oh my goodness, what is he seeing? And as I'm pondering this, I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that what, what Jesus has done is he's consented to the victory of the love of God. And so I, I'm beginning to pray, and as I'm praying for individuals in my family and needs that we have that we're sharing, back, I'm like, oh, God, this is really what 
we're pray, when we're bringing something before you, Lord, I, I don't need to know how all the hows. But I want to agree that the victory of the love of God revealed in Christ is enough then and now and always. So that affects how I think. It affects how I engage. Another thing that I love about that photo, not only are his eyes closed, but he's holding, he's cradling Jesus, Simeon sees with the eyes of his heart, he's holding in love what will in love hold him. And so he proclaims, my eyes have seen the consolation of pain, brokenness, dysfunction for the old generations. Part of what's portrayed well in this picture is this sense of surrender in Simeon that as he holds the answer, he can't fully explain it, but he's holding it. And he knows that now he's become a part of this story. It's a sense of him as well, the one who consented in love to become man. Here's Simeon consenting the victory of love. I, don't, I can't fully explain it, but I'm consenting to it. I'm agreeing with it. And, and I love the way it's portrayed in that picture because I believe that is a picture of what the gospel means in our life. Beloved, the gospel isn't just about a prayer that I prayed when I was nine and I'm all done. The gospel is about living in a posture of surrender Oh, yeah, Lord, you continue to hold me. You see, we can go through life seeing and see very little. If something hasn't captured our heart and our imagination, we need to be awakened again to the hope of the gospel. Oh, yeah, that's for me today. And this is why we participate. The church has historically participated in things that are called, quote, the sacraments. These aren't just holy things that we throw, you know, look at, look at quote, the, sac- the sacraments of confession, of communion. This is about us reminding ourselves, oh, God, I'm coming back to a place of surrender to this. To see, beloved, isn't about certainty. It's about knowing that you know, how all of life is going to get worked out, but to consent, Lord, the victory of your love revealed in Christ is enough then, it's enough now, and it will be forever. So what does it mean then? How do I show up and consent to love? I was praying this is coming together with our kids throughout the, the, this last weekend. And, Lord, I, I want to I just, I just want to be present to that right where I am. So part of what I have to recognize is my vision can derail me. My physical vision, and even sometimes my perceptions that sometimes are pretty decent. But here's what isn't decent. 
when I discern something happening in someone else and I turn that into my own judgment about them and it causes separation. You guys know what I'm talking about? Getting derailed in perceptions. But I'm right about the perception. Maybe. But, Lord, I want to live captured with this first vision. Holding you and you holding me. So, you know, you remember Jesus tells this story in Matthew 25, and he said, you know, here's what the end of the age is going to be like, and you've got all these folks over here who, you know, when I was sick and in hungry and I was in prison and you met me, and, man, it's awesome for you. And the righteous turn to Jesus and say, wait, when did we see you? Because <laughs> here I am now and I'm seeing you. And I'm thinking back through my memory. I don't remember seeing anybody like you. When did we see you? What, did I miss it in the trappings of success and power? I invited some hungry people in. I, when, when was this? And Jesus said, truly I say to you, in, to the extent that you've done it to the least of one of these brothers of mine, the hungry, the stranger, the naked, the imprisoned, the least of them, you did it. You did it to me. How do I see Jesus in a world so filled with the perceptions that want to push me into judgments and fear that separate me into parts and perceptions that keep me distant from being present to the very thing I want to hold, love. To surrender to the victory of love revealed in Christ, it's enough for me now and everyone I touch, that I value the worth of every individual made in the image of God. They're all image bearers. So as I begin each day, what, what will I see? I, I don't want to just see with my eyes. I want to see with my heart. Who will I see? How will I see them? And so as I began to ponder this idea of consenting to love, I, bid, I, I, was, I just sort of applied it and added it to a regular prayer of St. Patrick that I often pray uh, almost, almost each day. But I began to word it this way, Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledge you that you who consented to the love of the Father is enough now and forever. Christ above me, higher than the highest obstacles, beyond what men can measure in the vast expanse of the measureless universe, revealing the measureless nature of your grace, your mercy, and your love for me, revealing again the extent of that love. Christ below me, beneath me, in the depths of darkness, in my brokenness, and in my failure, Revealing light and life and beauty. Christ before me in what I see and understand and discern. Revealing again and consenting again to your love. Christ behind me in what I cannot see, what I can't understand, what I don't discern. And yet, 
revealing the love of the Father. Christ to my right in every good and perfect gift that has come from you, the Father of heavenly lights revealing your love and your your heart towards me, Christ to my left in my weakness, revealing power that is perfected even in my weakness, Christ all around me, filling all things with the revelation of your good opinion, that every empty space and void space is filled with the revelation of the good opinion of a Father who loves me and others. Christ now formed in me by, by faith, by surrender. I consent to your love is enough. I was meditating on this thought um, after putting some of these thoughts together. I was meditating on this. woke up in the middle of the night, and I was like, you know, what does it look like to see that image of Simeon holding, consenting to love? And, and there are three words that come to mind. I know it's just straight out of Scripture, okay? These three, faith, hope, and love. What does it look like to hold Jesus? Faith. Let me read uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 out of a couple of different translations. Out of the message translation, it says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under which everything that makes life worth living It is our handle on what we can't see. This is from the First Nations Version, New Testament. To the peoples of the tribes of wrestles with Creator. That's all of us. We're all having a wrestle. Okay? Trusting Creator is the solid ground our hope rests on. It means we can be sure of the things we do not yet see. Here's the fundamental reality, beloved. Faith is about trust and surrender to the activity of God and that I trust that he is a loving God. That means I'm surrendered to this mystery and I don't get to control it. Can I give you a news bulletin? You probably already know this. We're all control freaks. But it does mean I'm invited to surrender. Here's another piece of good news. You don't have to trust everything you see. What? Well, Paul said it this way. We walk by faith, not by sight. Again, I'm not trying to get us into some, you know, like I make, I make the world up in my head thinking, but it means that I'm choosing to surrender first and foremost. Lord, you are the perfect revelation of life and light and beauty, and I, I choose to see. I want to see. I want to walk by faith, not just by my physical sight. Faith is a mystery, beloved. Holding Jesus is continuing to surrender to that. Hope. This is one of my older, 
I mean, I've carried this one around for a while. My New American Standard. Um, I took this one, this particular Bible with me uh, in 2006, the first time, um, is when I was praying through these verses, and Denise and I were in a process that was maddening, that we were attempting, to, we could, we, it seems like we couldn't get answers, and we were attempting to adopt two girls out of Guatemala. And I was just going through a time of meditation and prayer, and I stumbled into these verses, and it really felt like it was a personal word to me, Verse, uh, verses, what, four, five, six. But I'll, I'll just, you know, since you're precious in my sight and honored and I love you, I'm going to give other men in your place, other people in exchange for life. Don't fear, for I am with you. For I'll bring your offspring from the east and gather them from the west. I'll say to the north, give them up. I'll say to the south, don't hold them back. I'm sitting in a prayer room. I'm like, oh, I can do that. I'm going to pray that. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Circled that, and I wrote it down first time, 2006, right there in the column of my Bible. A year later, I'm in India, and uh, I get a phone call from Denise, and the whole thing fell apart. What was that about? Okay, well, there's a longer story I don't need to get, I can't go, fully go into, but we, we really did actually have an active part in those twins' lives, keep them in a safe place. But then we're like, Lord, what is this desire you put into us? So we just put it back before the Lord. And then I have here in the column, right underneath that, it says this. I was at a prayer summit, and, and a very good friend of mine, Dr. Craig Turley, was leading this prayer summit. We're with about 60 other pastors, and he said, I want to challenge you. Here's the word I want to challenge you with. If I'm your man, God, then would you release your word to me? What is it that God's spoken to you personally? It's just between you and him. And so I wrote this down and put it in the column of my Bible, September 2010. I said, okay, God, here it is. It's yours to fix. But we're kind of done. And, um, you know, we came back longer. But at that point, we'd attempted to move, we, we'd attempted to, uh, move into adoption in Guatemala, or, I mean, I'm sorry, in Nicaragua. And, um, and there we are as we got to the end of 2010. I brought it before the Lord, said, okay, you know what? I, it's, maybe I'm seeing this wrong, whatever. Um, interesting. Somewhere around about a year later, the truth is that we, had, we decided to just lay it down and be done. And something didn't feel right about it. So in my restlessness, I got out of bed, and I began to search. Is there a family that's ever successfully adopted out of Nicaragua, and why can't we get this done, right? Found a family. Quick, quick version is within oh, less than a week, we're on the phone with an attorney. Three months later, we got to meet these guys for the first time after a nine-year story of hope. Beloved, I, I, what I want to say, think about Simeon. It was the hope that God had put in him. He says, I'm, I'm laying hold of that, and I'm going to trust in your promise. Hope, something that lays hold of us, and love. Faith, hope, and love. What does it mean to hold Jesus in a world that is so built around systems of power, uh, 
as followers of Jesus, we proclaim this amazing truth that we serve a king who's born in a, not in a palace, but in a manger, who rides into Jerusalem on a donkey proclaiming peace, who's crucified and put to death by his own creation. It's not a very good rendition of a hero's story. but it reveals what God knows and what Christ reveals. That love is enough then, now, and always. And watch this. I proclaim this in the name of Jesus over us, individually, corporately. It is enough to change the world today, my world. This is what I want to surrender to, not trying to win an argument, not trying to win a political debate, a political push one direction or another, but that I surrender to this, that even in my weakest attempts, that as I surrender and I consent to the love of God revealed through me, has more impact than you could possibly imagine. The mystery of the gospel made manifest in me consenting to love. Changes everything. Don't have time to read all these lyrics. Um, oh dear, I've gone over. Didn't mean to. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll put the earwig in your head, and you can listen to the lyrics later. All right. But um, I was listening to to these lyrics. You know, I see trees of green, I see skies of blue, and I think, what a wonderful world. Right? Lord, give me the right picture. Give me the right picture. I want to see with eyes of faith with my heart captured. You know, I, th- let's put that picture back up one more time, and I, I just want to share something, and I want to invite us, actually, and I want to speak something over us, okay? This powerful encounter. Simeon's holding Jesus, but Jesus is holding him. I'm going to invite you if, you, if you don't mind, to just close your eyes and listen to this. This is called Jesus' whisper. What would Jesus be whispering over Simeon as he held Jesus? Go ahead. Laugh with me as you hold me. You carry the source of all victory, and this is truly worth shouting about. I haven't forgotten your prayers. I haven't forgotten your desires. I love reading your heart like a long-studied map. In my plan, you're never alone. Even as you carry me now, I carry you safely home. Consenting to the victory of the love of God revealed in Christ, my eyes have seen the salvation of of the Lord. Beloved, to see salvation is not what we see with our eyes, but rather what we see and surrender to with our hearts. To consent with the victory of the love of God revealed in Christ is enough then and now and always will be. Amen and amen. I want to invite you, if you would, to